Hey there, thank you for stopping by our podcast. You are about to listen to an episode, one of our uh, original episodes of our first, uh, I think, 10 or so, uh, where we were branded under the podcast name, Own Your Business, and we now have changed and we've rebranded as Greer Method Complete Coaching. And really what's cool about this podcast is um, if you listen from the beginning to where we are presently, you'll see the refinement that goes on as an entrepreneur figures out what works and what doesn't and as quickly as they can discards the things that don't and then uh, really drive hard the things that do and that's been my journey um, as the host and as the founder of the company and uh, host of the podcast uh, i've constantly been trying to reevaluate remove what's not working and then uh, really dial up and emphasize what is working so thank you for coming here just know that you might hear some random references to own your business but know that you are in the right place and you are listening to Greer Method, the podcast. Thanks for listening. Please leave a comment, uh, like us, share us. That helps us get our message out and uh, definitely apply what you're learning, what you're listening to uh, in any way that you can, whether it be big or small, to produce better, more meaningful outcomes for yourself. Welcome everyone to this episode of Own Your Business. I hope you're very excited because this is going to be an amazing episode. Everyone is always looking for how do we sell more of our products? How do we be better salespeople? Or there's a lot of people that are like, I don't want anything to do with sales and they want to get as far away from it as possible. And so our guest today is a good friend of mine. I'll give a little bit of an intro to him and then um, I'll let him introduce himself. But we're gonna talk about all things sales and specifically the challenger sale, which uh, you may have not heard of, so this is gonna be really informative for you. But Adriano Atlin, we worked together at a research firm several years ago that just got bought by Gartner, actually. Um, And Adriano was a facilitator there where we literally sent him all over the world to coach and teach the senior leaders of some of the biggest companies in the world. So this guy knows his stuff inside and out, and he now is still traveling the world, helping to build sales teams and helping sales leaders understand how to develop their salespeople into what we call the the challenger sales. Um, So it's gonna be a really good, exciting uh, opportunity. Adriano is also a fellow Ironman triathlete, so uh, I'm excited to have him on. Adriano, welcome today. Thank you very much, Jared. It's a, it's a great pleasure uh, to be here in your... Thank you very much for the invitation. I feel the pressure on my shoulders <laughs> because um, you introduced me so nicely. And uh, sure, we will have a great session. And I think um, because um, that challenger module and that challenger uh, construction is a very, very interesting one. Um, There might be some surprises uh, coming out of that research-based concept uh, on think thought, hey, um, we are developing our people in the right way or we are looking for the right things in in our people, um, making sure they are able to sell our products efficiently, effectively, and kind of sustainably. 
And through that research, there might be a couple of surprises coming up here as well. It has, it has a lot of analogy with our triathlon training, right? There are so many ingredients that you can put together in order to become better, in order to become stronger, in order to become faster, in order to recover faster, right? And, and do more intense training sessions and all that. But which one is actually the most effective and the most efficient one? Do I go longer distances in trainings or do I go short and, and, and all that? And that challenger sale is basically uh, pretty similar. There are so many ingredients that will help us to become world-class salespeople. Which ones do we have to, to foster? Which ones do we have to nurture? And which ones do we have to develop our people in? We already are feeling of your passion for this and excitement for this, which is why I had you on. Because not only do I love talking triathlon, but I also love talking sales. And I love people who are passionate about what they do. So before we get into what the Challenger sale is or some of the research, tell us where you're based out of. Because I know you're in D.C. right now, but you don't live there. And then tell us what it is that you're doing Kind of on the day-to-day -day basis. Um, well, actually born and raised in Switzerland and um, uh, live again back home in Switzerland. I've uh, lived in other countries. I have lived for a couple of years in Singapore and working in Asia Pacific. Then also used to live in London for a couple of years. And that's then basically where we guys met, right? Yep. Uh, and um, where we got with each other through that company. Um, I was always involved in people development. Um, I have a degree in economics, but I also have a degree in teaching economics. As if that would make a difference, but it actually. <laughs> I never was interested in teaching at the university or so, because that seemed to me at some times to be a bit too boring. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to experience like hands-on, what are people working and how can we improve and make that work and those relationships more effective, more um, um, efficient. And so um, one of the best ways to do that is really visiting different industries and yeah. different approaches. And, and interestingly enough, to those people that say, oh, I don't want to have to deal with sales or something like that. I don't, I'm not a salesperson. Our whole life involves sales. Just imagine you have an idea about an activity over the weekend. You have yep. to sell it. Of course, I'm, I'm simplifying it a bit. However, if you want to make sure your whole family uh, uh, gives you applause, for your suggestion for a weekend activity, the principles are pretty similar to even complex sales situations in business. Oh, those people that say, oh, I'm not a salesperson, I don't want to be involved in sales, they miss a very important issue. A lot of what we do is actually selling, selling ourselves, selling our ideas, selling products. I try to teach this to my six-year-old all the time that Selling is not just asking over and over and over again. There's, there's more to it. You've got to point out what's in it for me. You've got to think through like what, what I actually want. So break down for us, if you will, the challenger model. What is it for people who have never heard of it? What is it? Where does it come from? And why is it so important for us to know about? 
I probably need to to talk a little bit more about the the story in itself and the setting of the challenger, right? So basically, what you what you want to do is you want to build a sales force that uh, hopefully of a lot of sales stars, right? Now, when you look at your bench, we want to categorize people uh, very, very often. So sales departments also do categorize them. However, sometimes the categories or the criteria they use are not very helpful. Two gentlemen, Matthew and Brent Adamson, who are actually uh, from the corporate executive board, are involved in a lot very deep research about what makes people successful sales force contributors that have sustainable success. And we are not talking about like a little bit better or so. We are really talking about a big leap so that they are sustainably, remarkably better than the average performer. Now, what they have done is they have categorized different sales um, people. Now, when we look at categorization, we gave them names, right? So, of course, then challenger is one. Then, like the relationship builder. Then we have the lone wolf, right? And we all know those guys. They go out on their own. They are creating lots of of opportunities and they are dealing with their clients and and nobody knows exactly how they are doing that and so there are different um, attributes or traits that they display then we have the hard worker right I need to go through the CRM system and and if I only work hard enough and I go through it in a lot of detail success will come naturally right and then we have the problem solver. Let's clarify that a little bit, a reactive problem solver. Whatever the client wants, whenever they call and say, hey, we have a problem, uh, solve that for us. Yes, they will run and do and work very hard and long hours to make sure the customer is happy, right? So we have those five categories. Now, the important and the interesting aspect is which of those provide consistently great sales results? And here, the first finding might be very surprising. Basically, those five, uh, those five uh, categories, all of them provide average results. But wow. there is a very clear winner. There's a very clear winner and a very clear loser. The winner here is the challenger. The challenger provides many, many, many star salespeople than any other of the, the remaining four. And actually the relationship builder, while providing average performance throughout the bench, has also the least amount of star performers. And this is quite shocking because those different sales managers or so, for quite some time, they are saying, we need to make sure that we have a good relationship. And a lot of those people, those salespeople, they will say, oh, we put a lot of time and a lot of effort in making sure that we have a good relationship. Now, the definition of a good relationship, this can be of like, you know, we have always a good discussion, always a friendly discussion, always making sure we are relaxed and having a good conversation. 
up to like, well, we even spend holidays together with our yeah. families or something like that, right? How much does that contribute to actually having sustainable sales and sales growth, right? And it turns out from research, relationship builder is not helping too much in creating that really stellar sales performance. I want to make sure that people that are watching caught that. Because we're not saying that these other profiles don't sell. In fact, we're saying that they do, they can perform at an average level. And I think I remember in the book where it said, listen, all we've done is find that there's five ways to be mediocre, right? These different profiles, they will be average, but the, the amount of top performing salespeople more often are the challenger profile. And in fact, the relationship profile is much, much lower and not as effective as some of the other profiles. It's the worst profile. And I, I, it makes so much sense because I think it's probably the most comfortable and maybe you'd agree, but it's probably the most comfortable that we just want to be their friend and be their buddy and be around. And then when things are, you know, hopefully right, then they, they buy from us. But I feel like the research also showed that loyalty wasn't higher in relationship selling because the relationship wasn't there. There wasn't a higher level of loyalty. It was just, you know, they like them. Yeah. You know, have that relationship. Absolutely. And you, you nailed it head on. Um, and, and that's exactly, everyone wants to be likable, right? Yep. And right. as soon as the relationship and could put a, a tape on and say, well, I'm likable. They like me, yeah, but maybe for the wrong reasons. Yeah. <laughs> you don't ever ask them exactly to buy what you say. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, if I like someone, it could be because of personal reasons. We always have a very friendly exchange and all that, but this person is not doing any business improvement. And here, I think, is a bit of the issue that relationship builder, and we always talk about challenger relationship builder because these two are the furthest away the others fall somewhere in the middle and it's probably for the wrong reasons that people put so much effort and time into building those relationships as a side comment i had a conversation just last week with someone um talking about like leadership styles and mm. and some distinction and now the question was then which leader would you rather work for a leader very likable but does nothing professionally for your own development or do you rather prefer a leader that does a lot for you development perspective but is not that likable now which one do you choose right right and it's very clear most people would say of course the leader that does great things for me from a professional developmental point of view. I, I might want to drink a beer with the Joker. I know right. I'm, I'm going into the extreme, but the Joker <laughs> and friendly all the time with me, but does nothing for me professionally, right? right? And here we are very clear. And I think that's the perspective that a customer takes now. When we now go back to that sales and what contributes to a happy, customer that will open the, 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 the buying and selling process with us over years, right? With us, 
there is no that someone else can step in. Now, how do we actually create a relationship like that? And the point is, a relationship is not the goal. And here we were looking then, and now we are getting into the next step. So, you mentioned the word customer loyalty. Why are they buying from you? What is the driver? Now, when we look at four categories, right? So, for instance, we look at the product and the service delivery that we provide. We look at, for instance, the value to price ratio. So basically it's the price for our product. Or we look at our company and the brand impact we have. Or we look at the sales experience that we provide. Which of those four categories is actually driving customer loyalty? And whenever I do that little, little quiz in, in classes or so, it's very interesting to see the answers. It, it, it depends a little bit about industry. And there are industries hmm. where they go and say, well, you know, we have lots of competitors. Our product is a commodity, so price. Price is always number one. Well, even in those areas, and that's a surprising thing, even in those areas, um, it's, it's not necessarily price. There is a very great saying, absolutely great saying, which is only if there is no other value, price becomes a value. So we have to definitely work out what is the value of the product to the customer. And price comes always in last. And in that price is actually the smallest of those drivers. So in that sense, 9%. 9% of loyalty can be uh, based on value to price ratio. So neglect it. Non Don't worry yeah. about it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Unless you are not able to describe other values that your product provides, then they jump to price. Number two, and that's very interesting, People very often overestimate the company and the brand. More and more, this is, um, this is um, replaceable, I should say, yep. right? <laughs> so about 19%. And then they are very proud about their product and because of the relationship builder about their service delivery right? We are very happy. We have the best product and the service around that we deliver. However, and now we have three of those four, three of those four we have mentioned. They account of 47% of customer loyalty. So one driver wow. accounts for 53%, right? Which is the sales experience. Hmm. So that the customer says, my sales experience guys, is so distinct and differentiated and it helps me to run my business much better that I will stick with those guys. That's the, the loyalty driver. Absolutely. Right. So, and for a moment, I probably need to let that sink in. It's the sales experience. All of those come together though, right? Because you want to be able to speak to your value so that you don't have to haggle on price. You want to have 
you know, the, the good relationship. All of those things are still components of it. But clearly what you're saying is, listen, people want to feel like the sales experience is beneficial to them. It is helping them actually move the needle most, in, you know, in the ways that they need. Um, and sometimes I think we, we want to go in, we want to talk about our differentiators and our value proposition. And while we need to know all of that, we need to know more how it applies to these, the, the, the clients that we're trying to sell and truly support. Absolutely. And I mean, um, you can look at very, very small businesses or you can look at very big businesses. You can look at very simple sales transactions or very complex sales transactions. At the end of the day, the buyer want, they want to walk out of the deal excited and knowing that's the best deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of course, with lots of different components. And if you look at what provides that feeling, it's really about that sales experience. The price very often is, is a non-issue, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's, more and more this day and age, you can't haggle on price because there is always two tiers down. There's always another competitor who's entering in the market. I mean, you think about Clayton Christensen and disruptive innovation where people are trying to get into your industry by offering a smaller, cheaper, simpler version than what you're already offering. So it can't be about price. You've got to stay as far away from that as you can. And so this, this experience of the challenger sale is the way to do that. So break that down for us. What is that challenger sale? What are the components of that? Um, and then maybe we can co compare and contrast of how that looks versus what some of the traditional approaches are. Challenger. Um, there are actually three major activities that we need to try to master. First of all, um, teach. Teach for differentiation. That means don't shy away from trying to teach your customers. Teach to them what the product can do for them to run better businesses. Then tailor it to their specific situation. Tailor it to their specific um, um, industry. And the third one is take control of the sales cycle. Don't let the customer take control of the sales cycle. You control the sales cycle. Now, three steps. Fire proactive handling. It requires preparation, of course. When we say um, we want to teach like uh, commercial insight, right? We need to be very good at asking great questions. So for the salespeople here, just check on yourself. How much talking are you doing when you actually talk with your customers? How many questions do you ask? How much do you let them talk to give you great information? Now, this is a discipline in itself, but you can practice that. Try to limit yourself basically on, let's say, five questions you want to have answered on and let them do the talking. 
that requires you to ask very clever questions so that you ask one question and they will talk for 10 minutes. And that's the beautiful thing. Let them do the talking. You see, we need to kind of make sure that while we teach them for differentiation, we want to create a situation where they immediately talk and feel walking into a kind of minefield. So that means that you create some kind of tension with them by saying, okay, go on. Is that a good feeling? Um, are you kind of uh, um, covering all the risks, things like that? What about this key metric? Are you happy with the key metrics? What are your competitors doing? How do they see their key metrics? Are they much better, much lower? And what are your goals? Do you feel like you are in control? And things like that. That at a certain point, direction where they feel like, uh-oh, am I looking at the business the right way? And nobody ever told me about that blind side. And that's the chance where we teach. So um, have you ever looked at your business from this area? Have you ever looked at the business from the left-hand side? Mm -hmm. Or what about where you spend time? Have you ever looked at funding this side of the business a bit more and less somewhere else? And that creates constructive tension. Let me quickly go back to the relationship builder. Remember what we said about the relationship builder is, oh, it's fantastic. We have a wonderful uh, relationship together. We feel we have a good conversation. That usually is a soft conversation where nobody steps on uh, the other toes. Creating tension is exactly the opposite without blaming anyone or so, but kind of hinting, you know, you might have a blind side. And of course, I know everyone out there, you are doing that in a very charming way. Charm always goes a long way, right? I, I, I love that. And I want to I wanna just step in because, um, you know, in my own experience, what I've seen, and I've my, even before I worked at, at CEB with you, I was in sales for a long time. And so what sales typically yeah. looked like to me was people would go in, they would do discovery, which meant that they asked five or six questions. The prep that everybody talks about doing wasn't really actually done because at the end of the day, they really just didn't have time to prep for all of the meetings that they had. And so they would go in, they would do discovery, they would ask the, the generic questions. And then if there was interest, they would maybe start prepping for future meetings if that, if that stakeholder was interested enough to continue the conversation. And so I love that what you're talking about is actually doing that prep, coming in, and then that discovery is, is targeted towards things that actually matter to that person. So for example, like you said, you know, hey, your competitors are doing this. How are you responding inside your business to that? Right, and obviously we wanna make sure that's a relevant question to the product that you sell, to the service that you're trying to provide. 
to stoke and make them think about it. But ultimately, those types of questions that, you know, hey, your industry is declining by five or 10%. What are you guys doing to make sure that you're not shrinking by that much? Or, hey, I just read in the Wall Street Journal that it looks like your company has declined by X percent because of these three things. How are you guys approaching that? Those are the questions that are more geared towards creating that tension versus, hey, what, how are you guys measuring success? Or what's going really well in your business? Those things that we like to talk about because they're warm and fuzzy, but they're not actually like digging into, hey, I want to find, I don't care what's going well in your business. I want to find what's struggling in your business. And then I want to help that feel better, improve overall. Am I get, correct me where I'm, where I'm wrong. You're, you're the pro here, but you know, that's, that's based on my, my own experience. No, you are, you are wonderfully describing what happens. Probably to add on, a lot of salespeople are way too quickly jumping into what their product can do so wonderfully, right? What are the ingredients of their product and things like that? You know what? Don't waste too much time on that. It's usually the area where we feel comfortable doing the talking, right? And it's some kind of showing off to the customer, which is not really of interest, right? Of course, it's good to establishability and all that. But again, let them do the talking. If you want to show off, then you are not in the sales profession, actually. Then you, you need to, to go into a quiz, into a, pro, a quiz to win a prize that you know so much about the product or so. What you said is preparation. When I ask them, so how much time do you spend in preparing for meetings with customers? How little time they actually invest in preparing. However, it's also interesting, right? When you, when you look at it, that people don't find time and all that. And you said something very interesting. They will only invest time if a second chance. That if becomes more and more bigger and bigger. Yep. Because you are very, very lucky to get a second chance, right? So when you say... Well, preparation, I, I'll, I'll figure my way uh, yeah. within the meeting, right? You are prepared to fail, right? If you make preparation, you prepare for failure. If you are actually saying, you know what? If I fail in that meeting, I will then correcting that mistake. That means you have to set aside time. Right. Why don't you set the side time before in the first instance prepare and then go into the meeting that's exactly the same yep. because it's hardly ever happening that you go into a meeting unprepared and you are very successful it's not that's that's like trying yep. to win the lottery right and um, i would never ever advise Invest that time for preparation. Invest. And if they're, if they're buying off. in those scenarios where you haven't prepared, they're probably not buying because of your prep, your presentation. They're buying because they're desperate or they've already made up their mind. 
and they would have bought from probably anyone. Absolutely. Um, not the situation you want to be in, right? Yep. Absolutely. Now, and you said, you know, now what we want to do in the next step, right? We create some tension, right? We said, um, we want to create tension. We want to make sure customers are looking at their business somehow differently. So you could ask them as well, as you said, what are your co competitors doing? Or if we just look internally saying, hey, customer, where does your money lie? Is that money working for you? Or does that money sit on a shelf somewhere, right? And if you can help the customer see, oh, if I don't change, that money sits on a shelf and does nothing for me. So there is no interest coming back from that money. And you actually show them, you could invest that money differently in a much better way and that money works for you, right? then you help them to become more successful. Yep. So in that sense, here and now we are slowly closing that circle. Yep. If you are able to show them how they can be more successful in their business, they will naturally then see, this will help me become more successful in my business, do you have the products to help me? Yes, we have. And glad you asked, right? And, and, and all that. So in that sense, it's not coming with your product and say, hey, we have the best products, you know, and, and by the way, you will make lots of money. No, it's the other way around. Have you ever thought to make your money work harder and wiser for you and your business? This might be the way to do it. Yes, okay, I understand. Oh, to really change that and challenge that. Yes, we can. And we have the products that fit exactly that purpose of making your money work harder and wiser. And then you are building a very deep, sustainable business relationship and you are a trusted consultant, right? Yeah. And not just a salesperson. And that's the key to it. And so, right. we're, I, I, so we're looking at the three steps, right? The, the teach for differentiation. Yeah. Then the tailoring, yeah. that's where we take and we say, hey, we talk about how their money is working for them. We talk about the application of their the product to their specific challenges. Yeah. Walk us through what taking control of the, the sale actually looks like and feels like. Yeah. Um, here, we need to differentiate between two timelines. And let's look at our timeline first. That means we have a selling process. Most often, my sales department or marketing department creates, designs a sales process. We learn that and we have to adhere to that sales process. And now we are ticking off. We have done that. We have done that. Follow up call. Yes. Have sent the paperwork. Yes. And we don't hear anything from them anymore. Right? We get nervous. We go like, hey, um, I thought you wanted to come back to me by end of business Friday. And 
I'm actually in the weekend now and I haven't heard from you and, and things like that. So thoughts are going wild, right? And the issue is we probably tend towards looking into own process as being so important to fulfill that process and these process steps. However, getting to the decision means a positive sales decision or buying decision. We need to be aware of their buying process. And that's a good indicator. So asking the customer or the client, so what's your buying process? How many stakeholders do you need to and getting their formal okay or agreement or so, then what is the next step? Learn as much as possible about their buying process. And then you help them to go from step to the next step to the next step. They might need information, need help from you as well. Should you call another stakeholder or not and things like that. And that gives you a much better indication about how successful you are in that process already. Your sales process is for your internal issue, but really telling you how successful you are is their buying process, right? I feel, I feel like you're implying subtly that salespeople are impatient, Adriano. Is that true? <laughs> so I missed that word, actually. In no. In what? In, in? Impatient. They are not patient, which I think I'm, 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 I'm making a joke. Salespeople are incredibly sure. impatient. And what's interesting, it's, and it's kind of a paradox because they're impatient to the point where they want it to happen that fast, but then they're also too patient where they're not asking those questions to follow up and make sure, hey, when is this going to happen? What is that process? What is that next step? And so it's almost like we, we just want that sale so bad that we're not willing to, you know, we just want to wait and we want it to happen, but we're not actually crossing those T's, dotting those I's so that we're all collectively on the same page. So love that idea of take control, make sure you understand what hoops do they have to jump through. And you are spot on here. And if you are putting too much pressure, Every buyer realizes that, that you want to have that signature under the contract immediately because it counts towards your, your goal by the quarter or, or year-end goal. And every customer realizes that. They are aware. They are not stupid. They know that you have such goals. However, when you push me, and I, I'm sure you and everyone else has experienced that, that the salesperson, no matter what, it could be a house, it could be a car, it could be something else, and they want you to sign now. You go like, hang on, something's going on here. Hey, guy, give me a break. I need to talk to that to my wife first about buying that car. And I don't like it if they push me. However, if you do it differently, if that person understands that I go and consult with my family or I consult with the uh, CFO, with the CIO or something like that, I can even help them and say, by the way, next week when you go and consult with your CFO, let me tell you, it would be good to mention this, this and that. 
mention maybe this aspect and the other aspect and so on. So um, have you already those meetings in your calendar? When exactly are they? I will send you the, the ammunition for that uh, conversation the evening before, right? And then you have it on your calendar as well. And they don't feel, pr feel pressured but they feel like you are taking care of them. You are contributing, right? And that's much, much more helpful, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, you also position yourself because like you said, if they're working with other stakeholders, which depending on the type of product you're selling, there are other stakeholders and you have then the opportunity to say, what concerns do you think they might have? What concerns do you think your wife will have to saying yes to this or your CFO will have. And then you get to hear how they would articulate that person's concerns to which you can say, well, how, how would you, based on our conversation today, how would you address that? How would you help them understand the value of this? And, and then you can kind of coach them to actually go and be a better advocate for your product than they would if you just kind of pushed them out and said, okay, let me know when we've got everything signed. So it is that extra level of care and thoughtfulness about the, the sales strategy. And while it's a sales strategy, it's also, in my opinion, it's an honest way of doing business versus just trying to sell somebody on the, you know, your value proposition and hope that they sign. And then after the fact, you know, you kind of walk away and say, yes, we got the sale. I'd rather it be something that, they do truly feel, as you said, an, a trusted advisor, a consultant, a partner who really is looking out for their best interest. And that's no doubt why loyalty goes through the, through the roof. We value that in other people who want to help us. So the challenger sale, even though it sounds challenging, you know, it's really about being that, that trusted advocate for them. What kind of feedback or... Yeah distance do you get when you're coming into these sales organizations and you're saying, I'm going to help you be a challenger seller? What is that? What, what are the biggest challenges that people have with being a challenger? People are very, very complimentary about that challenger concept. And they are usually what we hear is like very interesting new look at business relationship, right? We should um, construct and we should have. Um, where they struggle, really put our fingers on and make sure people understand it first and then are also practicing, is like create tension, right? And that commercial teaching, right? Um, because people feel like, oh, if, if my, my counterpart is like frowning or so, oh, that's a bad sign or so. No, no, yeah. no, no. Take it great if they frown because they think right you are not telling them of course not you are doing it wrong you are not telling them that <laughs> but you are telling them you might have some blind spots and it's obvious very clear we cannot always have a 360 degree view we have some strengths and some weaknesses of course and if we politely and with a commercial teaching never forget that if we help them to see it slightly differently that will help them to grow their business, they are so thankful for you. So create that tension, 
you don't put them off. You are actually helping them. That means you are coaching. It means you need to have business acumen. Don't just rely on your product knowledge. You need to have business acumen. You need to know what's going on in their business. You need to go know what is their three like biggest developments in the last two, three years. Where are they heading to? And things like that. What is their financial um, situation? What is their margin? Because that all helps you to, to give them that very well-informed coaching and to be an advocate of their business, yeah. right? Because you know that your products fit. You would not contact them in the first place. Don't stress that fact immediately. Help them to see the business value and how they wait better business results by asking you almost like, please, 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 can I have your products, yeah. right? <laughs> There you go. Then, then that's an easy sale, right? When they're saying, okay, get on with it. How do we buy, right? I remember from the Challenger sale. So if, uh, for anybody who's watching, you can get the book, Challenger Sale. Um, and I remember from that, the, the goal of some of these first conversations is to get them, your stakeholder, whoever you're talking to, to say, huh, I've never thought of it like that before. And that's the key to really helping people look at their business from another perspective. And, and this is, you know, we're talking a lot about B2B sales today, but there's also a lot of this in B2C. You're helping whatever product it is that you have, you can help them look at things from another perspective. And if you've been doing it for a long time, you've got a product that you've been selling for a long time, then you probably know some of the downfalls of not having your product more than your, the person you're talking to. And so you can, you can help them see some of those things that will happen if they were to not purchase and identify those as you know, ways to then lever leverage and help them see the value as well. So love the entire challenger yep. model. Adriano, I know that we're, we're about out of time and I know you've, you've, you're in DC, you're teaching in the classroom this week. So, I want to just say thank you for coming on and, and sharing with us. We would love to have you on again and talk about, okay, how do you coach somebody to the challenger sale, right? What are we looking for? How do we prep somebody, help them prepare? So maybe all of that would be for next time, but any final thoughts that you have or words of wisdom for, for our audience today? Um, well, yes. If you, if you go back now to your offices and, and, and think about it, what, what should I do, right? Um, in big pockets, first of all, make sure you hire great people, right? That's, the, that's basically the first thing. Secondly, don't try to streamline everyone. You will have that lone wolf in your team. Make the best out of them. Here and there, some, some aspects of the challenger will make them even more successful, which is great. Sec and and um, thirdly, um, encourage them to actually have conversations first to gather a lot of information business-wise. Do not show your products and show off and saying, those are the best products, yeah. right, for you. 
because that has that taste of they just want to push through that contract. Don't. Help them to find ways to become more successful, to find the solution within your product is their normal uh, finish in that whole process. They will never jump off again, right? Yeah. Because you help them to drive the business successfully. Love it. Love it. It's one thing to say to your stakeholders, this is exactly what you need. It's a hundred times better to have them say to you, this is exactly what we need. So take that. The challenger sale exactly. is a huge, um, it, it's a proponent of that and getting to that point. It's a model that is applicable and teachable and learnable. So, you know, spend some time getting to know it and uh, take your sales team to that, to that next level. Adriano, thank you so much for being a guest today. We definitely look forward to having you on again another time. Take care of that knee and uh, we'll see you hopefully out on the courses very soon. All right, my friend. Oh, definitely. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And I would love to actually run uh, uh, an Ironman with you. We are going to do that. Okay. I don't know if it's going to be in Zurich or in North Carolina, but we're going to make it happen. <laughs> All right, Adriano. Absolutely. We need to work on that. Thank yes. you very much, Jared. All the Thank best, you. guys. Bye. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to that episode. I hope that you were able to understand um, Adriano. I probably should have mentioned at the beginning that um, he is from Switzerland, so he, he doesn't speak English as his first language, um, although he does a pretty good job. So hopefully that was enjoyable for you. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Please leave a comment on um, iTunes or wherever you're listening to podcasts um, and detailed reviews are fantastic. Even if it's saying that it was glitchy, um, hopefully uh, it was bearable for you and you're able to get some good things out of it. So thank you again for listening and remember, get out there and whatever your business is, make sure you own it.